The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on the podcast today is Danny O'Malley, founder and president of Before the Butcher, a leading provider of plant-based burgers and other meat alternatives. Danny's food industry experience spans 25 plus years, including three years in a sales manager position at Beyond Meat. Before the Butcher offers the market's broadest choice of meat alternatives for the growing number of consumers who are reducing their consumption of meat products. The company's uncut brand of plant meat is sold through both retail and food service channels. This is Danny O'Malley and the Before the Butcher story. Daniel Malley from Before the Butcher, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks, Neil. So, Danny, I was at um, Ralph's about a month ago, I think, uh, my local Ralph's. I live in Venice, California, Mm -hmm. and uh, walked by the meat section, which I tend to do more of these days, even though I, well, I don't eat meat from animals, but I do check out the section because every time I go there, there's an ever-expanding list of products available. There was a time when it was just Beyond Meat was the only one on those shelves uh, that stood out amongst the plant-based options or the only plant-based option. But last month I went there and I see there was a whole section off the meat section carved out for plant-based meats. And, of course, Beyond Meat was there. There were a few other brands. Uh, Now Sweet Earth has its own uh, burger and... Uh, Kroger themselves have Simple Truth, their Emerge brand, which has a plant-based burger and other options. And right at the top, I see Uncut. Your brand stood out more than anyone else because (laughs) everyone else had the same packaging. And there, there was Uncut. So firstly, kudos to your branding and placement because uh, it really drew my attention and made me realize that there were several things very unique about your brand right away. And we'll get into all of that today. But Firstly, as you, you, you seem to be priced differently from everything else. Mm-hmm. You were better on most products, I think. Uh, I looked at the nutrition content, and you seem to be in a sort of category of your own compared to the others. And then, you know, of course, I know how quickly your company has grown in the last couple of years. So all of this added up to me being super intrigued to sit down with you and talk about how you've managed to do what you've done, and, of course, what you're going to do next. So that's why we're here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Wow. Uh, I I don't like to use the word uh, I or me too much because it's a team that makes it happen uh, every time we go out and do something. But uh, I have uh, or had and continue to have a unique advantage in the industry, and that is I grew up with uh, who is the innovator and and the leader in plant-based proteins today are plant-based meats beyond meat. I spent three years with them before I broke away to start before the butcher. So it gives me a really unique perspective right out the gate. Uh, it's such a young category in regards to food. Um, and so with my opportunity to spend time with the innovator, I was able to see and talk to um, retailers, uh, consumers, operators, and find out what they were looking for. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I broke away is that, that I, I thought the opportunity in this industry specifically was so much bigger than one company. Uh, and, and we weren't going to keep up. 
And, and we are all struggling to do that today. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see so many other companies jump into the game because they know that the, we're at the tip of the iceberg and it's just going to continue to trickle down in such a way that we're all trying to gather our resources and scale up in such a way that we can meet consumer demand. So knowing that, um, you know, when I, I, I left Beyond Meat in 2017, uh, I made a, a decision with with the rest of my group uh, to to be different because I th- I thought that's the way we needed to separate ourselves right from the beginning. So when we jumped into um, uh, our you know our development, we decided to offer variety that wasn't on the market at the time, and, and we jumped into food service first because that I, uh, I have a very strong background in food service. We can talk a little bit more about that, uh, but. Um, based on that, I, I wanted to make sure that all of us were comfortable with what we were doing. And we were uh, projecting the right image um, and talking about the right things and making sure that the consumer understood what our goals were and and what we were trying to do by uh, going after uh, a market that was so um, new to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody was just trying to understand what it was. I mean, I, I spent three years at Beyond Meat selling a product that nobody got. The, 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 I, I, most of my time was spent educating people, not selling the product. Just mm-hmm. saying, hey, would you mind trying this? Oh, I'm a meat eater. I don't eat that kind of stuff. But just try it, right? Let me explain to you. Let me talk to you. I don't have to explain anymore. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And that, now everybody's like, I want to try it. What do you have? Let me try it. Let me try it, right? Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. And, and so things have changed rapidly, as we know. But I, I have a unique perspective because I started in this very young industry before it really became what it is today. Uh, so I started six years ago uh, with Beyond Meat and then, uh, you know, made the transition and started uh, before the butcher um, with the idea that we were going to offer variety. We were going to offer products that we believed were better nutritionally or, or at least as good or better than our competitors out there. And we were going to offer something that was a little bit more affordable. I think we, based on what the way we started this, I think we kind of, we've done that mm-hmm. and we're really proud of it. And, and we have the advantage of uh, coming to market in such a way that people look at us and say, hey, look, this is something different. Uh, this is unique. Uh, and I want to try it. And and so we, we, we looked to grab, you know, even when you looked at, at the first time and saw us on the shelf at, at Ralph's. Uh, and by the way, Ralph's was our first uh, uh, launch into um, into the retail market, so we were really proud of that. Uh, but we we have we pop on the shelf, don't we? Yeah. I mean, we've got we've got four different uh, flavors that nobody has a variety like that. Uh, we did the same thing in food service, and now we're doing it in retail. So we've got our uncut burger, that's our original burger, and then we have our uncut savory chicken burger, an uncut uh, roasted turkey burger, and uncut breakfast sausage, all. Certified plant-based, proud of that too, that we're actually certified plant-based, plant-based food association, really cool. Uh, We're uh, verified, non-GMO project verified, Um, we're Mm gluten-free, and we've got the lowest sodium in our product uh, in the market today, and that was purposeful. We did that for a reason, because people are looking. When somebody somebody looks for these type of products... um, they're looking for it for various different reasons. Mm-hmm. One may be, I'm concerned about my own health, right? And we could probably spend a whole podcast <laughs> podcast talking about that, right? Uh, but so nutritionals were important for us. Yeah. And, and the big marker right out the gate, everybody talks about protein, protein. All of these products have pretty good protein in it. They really do very well. All our competitors do a great job with the protein. The concern really was that sodium, mm-hmm. you know? Look at the sodium in some of these products, and, and people are, have a, an acute awareness of that and how it f- affects them personally. And so we we made sure right out the gate that our sodium was significantly lower than our competitors. In fact, our competitors, uh, when they went back for version two, version three, dropped their sodium. Mm-hmm. They still haven't reached where we are. Yeah, that's uh, the biggest question I see brought up often when I'm, you know— at a conference or moderating a panel where, where we have someone who represents a plant-based meat company, someone in the audience is eventually going to ask that question. Yeah. As yeah. in, when are you going to make your products healthier? When are you going to reduce the amount of sodium? Uh, let's go back a little bit to the beginnings of your time at, at Beyond Meat. This was the year 2014. Uh, you'd been working in the food industry for a few, few years. How did that opportunity come about in the first place? Because 2014, compared to where we are now, six years later, that was a different time completely. Yeah. Those were the early, early days of 
plant-based meats. As right. you said, you had to do most of the education. People didn't even know what products existed and what you were trying to sell them. How that opportunity came about, and then when during your time at Beyond Meat did you decide, hey, I think I'm ready to do this on my own. Maybe I don't want to continue riding the Beyond Meat wave, and maybe I'm mm-hmm. going to create one of my own. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the opportunity came about, I, at, at the time I was working for uh, Cisco Food Service. Uh, I was a director for them, and uh, the gentleman who ran food service sales for Beyond Meat came in to see me. Uh, and we sat down and talked a little bit and he says, Danny, I'm, I'm really confused. And I, and I said, okay. And he said, look, we've got this really great product. Um, and there's probably no place in the world that it should be selling like crazy other than Southern California. And I said, well, let me take a closer look. And what are you talking about? And I had heard of Beyond Meat, mm-hmm. but but you're, you're, you just hear things, right? And you don't know everything. And so I spent some time talking to him, and, and I tried the product. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about something that's transforming, you know, something that really is going to change how we look at our food system, uh, what we do, and and uh, make a big difference, not just for our own personal health, but what's even bigger, the health of our planet, right? And so um, at the end of the conversation, I, I told him, I said, look, I'm going to do everything I can to help uh, make sure that this is more visible to the uh, sales team at Cisco. And and uh, and he said to me, he says, one other thing, Danny, before I leave, we are looking for somebody to help us with food service sales. He says, I'm one guy for this company covering the entire country, and I'm on the East Coast. The company's based on the West Coast. We want to find somebody on the West Coast and meet somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you know anybody, let me know. And so, of course, at that time, I was reflecting on my own personal career. It was way before he walked in the door. I'm thinking, what am I going to do next? This isn't where I personally want to be. It's not really who I am. It's not the way I live my life, right? And I don't have the real passion for it. And and it was important to me. And, and so I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it because it really correlated with me as a person. I mean, my, my life has been built that way over time. Um, you know, I go back to the early 2000s, uh, 2001, uh, when I started a company, uh, unfortunately at that time it didn't, didn't work, but it was a company called Nutrivity. So nutrition and activity, it was based uh, on kids. Uh, and I put together a program, uh, to educate schools on nutrition, how important it was. And if you go back to the early 2000s, obesity was huge mm-hmm. back then for children, huge. Uh, not that it's changed a lot today, but it's gotten a little bit better, I think. Uh, and the activity part was we actually did a video called Kai Fu, you know, King kids, uh, Kung Fu kind of thing. And uh, it was really cool and fun. And um, it, 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 it touched me personally because my oldest son, who happens to be with us today, uh, and I'm really proud of who he is today as, as a, a chef. And, and uh, he, he's just you know, just an incredible person. Um, he struggled. Uh, with weight when he was a young man uh, and a child. He was about eight years old at that time. And and as a father, uh, as a parent, you're you're touched by that. You Mm -hmm. you want to do everything you can to help your children, right? And and I was struggling with that because, um, you know, you're busy and you're working and you're just trying to feed your kids and you're trying to be healthy and you're trying to help them at the same time. And so I came up with this program. Unfortunately, the timing that it wasn't right and, and I had a business partner and we struggled and it didn't work. But that was the start for me. So, you know, we can talk about my beyond years, but I really started with a focus on this. And it was important to me as a person. I had a passion for it 20 years ago almost. And so Beyond Meat came. And and, um, uh, and so when he left, I said, wow, I don't have to think too much about this. I know who that person is. That That's me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I called him back later in the evening and I said, hey, look, I think I... I know the perfect person. He says, yeah, yeah well, who's that? <laughs> and I said, it's me. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, wow. He said, that would be really cool. And so within days I was, uh, uh talking to, um, the founder, Ethan Brown and, and, uh, and we worked through it within a couple of weeks and, and I left Cisco and started with beyond meat at that time and was really excited about it. Wow. I got to tell you, that was probably uh, the biggest risk I ever took in my career. Uh, and it was also uh, the biggest challenge I ever had. 
I didn't realize at that time how big of a challenge it was. It was all glossy and pretty to me at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I thought, wow, this is me. This is my personal self. This is the way I live my life. You know, I'm, I, I, I work out. I stay, I'm fit. I eat healthy. Um, and I was doing all the things that I thought was right at the time. But I didn't realize how challenging it was six years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody really got it. And uh, so I spent most of my time educating people. I would go in. And fortunately, I had a fair amount of collection. I, I knew a lot of people in the food mm-hmm. industry. So I, I would make a phone call and say, hey, can I come see you? And it's like, well, you know, we're meat eaters and uh, we're not really interested, but we'll see you, Danny. <laughs> right. So I, I go in there and like, oh, geez. And uh, and the products today um, are really different than they were back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Beyond has stopped making that chicken product that they had back yeah. then. And, and uh, you know, Ethan or anyone on the team would be the first to say, hey, that was, you know, maybe the first evolution. And we've, we're, we've moved beyond that and we discontinued it because mm-hmm. it's not where it needs to be today. And, um, and that's why they're so brilliant at what mm-hmm. they do. And I emulate that every way that I can. Um, and so we we move forward with products that were much more challenging to sell than they are today, right? And so we're, you know, I was really proud uh, of myself and and, and uh, the other gentleman that was in uh, food service and is continues to run their food service team, uh, a fantastic guy, um, and we did a great job of. of breaking through some of those barriers. I mean, you must have been part of the team that initially got the Beyond Chicken into Whole Foods and food service, right? I mean... Well, uh, yeah, yeah. well actually, that was just before my time. Oh, really? It okay. was just before... Interesting enough is... Because that was uh, the first time I heard about the product being in food service in some capacity. Right. Well, so they started in food service. Mm-hmm. Most people see Beyond Meat as a retail first. They mm-hmm. were food service first and then worked their way into uh, retail uh, because of that chicken in food service at at Whole Foods, and they asked them to, to make a retail pack, and they moved forward yeah. from there. Uh, but um, look, the the challenges initially had to do with education more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, products that were good, mm-hmm. but not nearly as good as they are today. And, and so you work through all those things. Look, it really wasn't long before I realized that there's, this was just going to be huge. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, I, I'm not a genius, but I did have enough of a vision, and I happened to be working for a company that had a tremendous vision and mission. Uh, and with that, uh, it didn't take me long uh, to realize that this is something that I wanted to do mm-hmm. as well. And as I spent time talking to, as I said earlier, the retailers, the consumers, uh, uh, the operators, and finding that, the, look, even at the early in the game, they were saying, hey, wh- what else do you have? Mm-hmm. What, what else can you show me? And um, yet, you know, as companies grow, uh, you got layers and layers and layers. And, and then you're like, wow, can, can we actually get this done? And how long is it going to take to get there? And it's a, it's a lot quicker when you're nimble and small to, mm-hmm. to, to, to make changes, in it, especially if you start out the gate that way. So when I, I made a decision to break away um, from Beyond Meat, it's not that I didn't enjoy working for Beyond Meat. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw an opportunity to provide more than what was out there, and and the market was demanding. Mm. I mean, you got to learn from um, the buyers about what they were looking for, and so you you pretty much knew that if you were able to pull that off uh, and produce those kind of variety of products, you most likely would be at least have that first meeting yeah. to convince them that this was something they need to go buy. So if, even if you look at the timeline of, of your start and your evolution as a company, 2017, you left Beyond Meat, and you had products on the market by 2018, and not just one. You had multiple, right? Yeah. We, uh, Tell me about that first year. Yeah, right? yeah. How did that happen? Craziness, I'm <laughs> telling you. So, so 20, 27, uh, September 2017 is when I started Before the Butcher, um, and really fortunate to have an incredible team uh, to help us on the R&D side with a, a gentleman that just has very deep roots in developing uh, plant-based proteins, uh, especially with soy. He had been working with soy uh, for, for many years prior to this and just got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is not an easy thing to get. Uh, and just can I interrupt you on the soy part? Why soy versus pea protein, which is what Beyond Meat yeah. is exploring, or many other companies lately seem to be right. using as their core plant-based protein? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So I, I look... It, 
I grew up on pea protein, right? If, if I want to call it anything, I spent my first few years mm-hmm. working for a company that, that, that emphasized pea protein. Of course, their chicken at the time was a combination of pea and soy protein, mm-hmm. uh, but everything that they were developing going forward was pea protein and eventually other proteins as well where they are today. Um, and so when I walked into our first meeting and started talking about R&D and products that, that we would develop and the variety that I, I was looking for or, or wanted to do, um, my my team said, hey, look, we should look at various different proteins. And I agreed with them. I said, yes, I, we should, but let's take a close look at this pea protein because I think that's where we need to be. And they said, well, okay, yeah, we'll do that, but we are going to look at other proteins. And I said, yes, let's do it. And so we started digging in and we tested all different proteins. Uh, at that time, obviously, pea was beyond meat, mm-hmm. um, and soy was the rest of the industry almost. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, it was it was almost that clear, clear cut. And so we we started looking at it, and we found very quickly. Number one, my my team was very comfortable with working with soy proteins, but we found very quickly that. Soy was just an easier protein for us to work with. Uh, pea was a little more challenging because of the bitter notes that you had to. Um, I hate word using the word mask. Uh, it, it's uh, you you had to envelop or uh, you know create a flavor pro- profile that. Um, encompassed mm-hmm. the, the, the pea. Uh, and you do the same thing with soy, but soy is a, is a little bit more neutral uh, to work with. And so we found very quickly that we thought we were making, uh, and we still believe this today, of course, a better product with the soy protein. Soy is a complete protein. Mm-hmm. Soy is, in our minds, the, the top protein uh, that you can get uh, in the plant-based world. And we're very, very comfortable using it it's been used for thousands of years, yep. um, and we use a non-GMO soy, which is important to us, of too. Of course. No, that's that's a crucial part of, uh, you know, obviously when I saw that first, it's it, it's I know it's easier to cut costs and use GMO soy, but you're, you're basically going to uh, be ignoring an entire consumer base that would want to buy a product but now won't buy it because yeah. it's GMO. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it just makes sense. Uh, There's also a heightened awareness Mm -hmm. that the people that are looking for these type of products specifically, even if they're meat eaters, and most of our consumers are meat eaters, they will pick up the package and look at the back. Mm -hmm. They will look for that non-GMO. They will look for that butterfly in the front, and that means something to them. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, maybe the average consumer that's not interested in it wouldn't have as much awareness or, or even care that much about it. Yeah. So first year, how do you go from September of 2017 mm-hmm. to having you know products in food service by 2018, uh, and that too for such a variety of products? Yeah. I mean, I've in the plant-based meat space, I haven't seen something done so quickly. Yeah, um, neither had I. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we have a very unique special team mm-hmm. that helped us get there. Uh, I, I laid out in a very aggressive plan uh, to put together a variety that wasn't in food service at that time. And we had, we came out of the gate with eight SKUs, you know, eight items mm-hmm. uh, that range from grounds like uh, an Italian ground to a regular ground. Uh, we have uh, uh, chorizo, uh, pulled pork, chicken mm-hmm. chunks, beef tips. Uh, we have some cooked product and we have uh, what we call our raw or uncooked product as well that perform differently. Uh, but we, we we knew we had to separate ourselves right from the very beginning. So, and we also wanted to be, um, we we wanted to find that straight and narrow course mm. that worked for us, that was important for us, and also important we believe for the consumer. So we right away we said we are going to be gluten free. Um, there may be some exception, exceptions in the future if we do a chicken nugget and mm-hmm. we can't find the right can't find the right combination to actually create the outside or the breading that's gluten free. That may be an exception, but as of today, our our focus is being gluten free, non GMO. Project Verified, non-GMO is really important to us. Um, looking at the nutritionals and lowering our sodium as much and wherever we can is really important to us. Uh, and then variety mm-hmm. and affordability. Those are all things that we talked about from the beginning. Uh, we nailed it out to the gate and we continue to do it. Variety, I thought, was really important. So I opened up doors right away, not just because I knew people, mm-hmm. but because they were already looking for something different. 
And, you, yeah. and you've, we've got products that have that bite, that chew, that texture, uh, the smell, the taste that reminds you of animal-based proteins. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Mm. And so you, uh, from a manufacturing standpoint, did you use a co-manufacturer, obviously, in the beginning, I'm assuming? Uh, so the reason I ask this is because there's a lot of people listening yeah. who perhaps may not want to start a plant-based meat company because right. there's a dozen plus now that are far <laughs> ahead of you if you're thinking of doing that, unless yeah. you have something you'd revolutionary. Right. But there are many people listening who are thinking of some other potential sure. business idea in the plant-based food space, and they know there's... You know, and I've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is you can have a great prototype product that you can make in your little test kitchen, uh, and you might be able to raise some money because of that. But then the real challenge comes is when you have to manufacture that at scale. Uh-huh. And that's where a lot of companies stumble because they don't have the right equipment. Their co-manufacturer can't exactly do it the way they want to do it. Next thing you know, they have to raise another round to buy some new equipment and move to a new facility, and then they're bleeding cash. and. The distribution isn't really, and it's this pull, 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 and is yeah. this push and pull between uh, we need distribution, we need more retail and food service growth, but then we also need to ramp up manufacturing. They yeah. don't have the money to do it, and most companies, I think, many will end up struggling and failing because of that reason. Right. So, for someone, you know, given that you've managed to do it in in one year and have products, at least in some food service capacity, in a year's time. What lessons can you impart to someone else who's thinking of doing that or at least wants to get inspired and learn from what you did? So from day one until the day that we actually launched into food service was about seven months uh, with eight SKUs, which is, uh, I don't know, I've been food service most of my career, almost unheard of. Mm. Um, And we did it ourselves. Oh, you we, did it we did it ourselves. And, and, and okay. l- let me tell you, the challenge is with, with co-packing, as we saw it, was mm-hmm. a co-packer has uh, expectations that you're going to do a certain amount of volume out the gate, and mm-hmm. you're responsible for whatever you've done. So uh, we were fortunate at that time that our corporate chef had a facility uh, that we could use, uh, and we, we shared that facility with him, and we actually produced our own products. Uh, and we were able to grow that way. You know, we we outsource a lot of our resources, even to this day, in order to stay as compact as we can so mm. we can be profitable, which, by the way, we are a profitable company already, which I, I don't know how many of our competitors <laughs> can talk about, right? Uh, and so we're really proud of that, too. But um, we we were in a unique position, and that unique position was we had a facility that we could use. Uh, we had a experienced veteran team that knew how to get it done. Mm. And all we really needed to do was find a place to store the product that we were uh, we were making, which is just find your local cold storage and start freezing, you know, put it in the freezer. Yeah. And so that's what we did. So we, we were in a unique spot at the very beginning in a, a small facility. We started with, oh boy, less than 5,000 square feet. Uh, and sharing that facility. So we were making products on the weekends or at night and doing mm. everything that you do as a startup to, mm. to make it happen. And we were able to move very quickly with a large variety. And I think for us, it's because we didn't have a co-packer mm. because we weren't obligated to somebody else to move that product once we made it or make a certain amount of it. A co-packer may say, hey, look, if you're going to come and do a run at our facility, you've got to do 50,000 pounds. Well, I I can't afford fifty thousand pounds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can I can sense why you were able to do this differently is because you had the sales background, and you kind of probably worked backwards from what you thought you needed, yeah. and then you just got it done so you would yeah. meet those goals. Yeah. Versus a lot of people who end up launching companies never probably done even sales in the yeah. food space and are really thinking more about the product, the product itself. And you work backwards from what you know your customers are going to want, right. whether it's food service or retail, you then know where to allocate the right resources and time and, and, and then appropriately develop the product that you need yeah. to meet meet your customers' needs. So that's actually a really great point. So we, those eight products, we're still making those eight products. Mm. And uh, the risk you have when you when you bring out that many products at the very beginning is you're going to have some losers. Right. And then you stop making them. Uh, Well, I pretty much knew I was going to sell all of them (laughs) because I had I had already talked Hmm. to the operators and and knew what the expectations were, what they wanted. And we were making products that we knew they wanted out there. And so we were actually in a fairly decent position from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, a lot of our products were what I would call kind of pre-sold. I went out to um, 
high-profile customers right from the beginning, uh, like SpaceX, Google, uh, Yahoo, uh, all these, you know, where you've got some names. and Because yep. the first thing people ask when you go into a distributor or something like that, say, well, who are you selling to? Mm. I'm like, oh, my God, who am I selling to? <laughs> well, let me give you a list, right? And it, it, when you come up with, you know, Disney and all, when you come yeah. up with all, it's like, wow, really? Okay, I, I think we've got some customers that we can d- do business. And you, you got to kind of force it. The food industry is really tough. Yeah. And I was fortunate to have a background in the food industry from the from the restaurant side. I worked many years on the restaurant side as an operator and then in the food service distribution side uh, with some of the largest with the largest food service distributor in the in, in the country, if not the world, Cisco Food Service, and then in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So for myself personally, I, I have a fairly well rounded career yeah. that uh, open up look, I got it. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. I talk to people all the time and it's like, and I, and you're, and you're right about that. I, they say, well, uh, what if I want to go do this? And I said, mm-hmm. you might be two years too late. Right. No, I can, I, I totally see why you've done what you've done now because it, it, you pretty much were building your, uh, you, you had a PhD in the food industry <laughs> by working in it for several years. Yeah. And then your experience at Beyond Meat was that, that final catalyst that everything clicked and you knew exactly what your next move needed to be because it aligned with the things that you were passionate about. Right. And now you could finally use all those years of knowledge and apply that to something that could truly make an impact, which right. also tells me exactly, you know, going back to what I said right in the beginning, half jokingly about how... Um, you know, you stood out in the meat case because of the uniqueness of your product. That seems, you know, you've answered that, but it, it's so intentional going yeah. in because you know that's what would resonate with your buyers. Right. Um, and eventually, of course, the goal of, obviously is then for consumers to come and take those off the shelf and buy it. Sure. Um, what? Uh, so there's another, you know, I wouldn't say it's a twist in the tail, but uh, three years or two years into this, in 2019, um, I read that you got a majority uh, investment from two folks who uh, also own a meat company. Yeah. So tell me how that came about and what has that done for your company in the last several months since that uh, infusion of capital? Yeah. Well, look, uh, at some point in time as you're growing and scaling up, you're, you're realizing that um, y- you need money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for various different reasons, one of the biggest reasons is, is you, you need to have enough ingredients to make the product that you're making. And when you make that product, that product will uh, eventually sell if you're doing the right thing, but you're still putting it in the freezer and you're, you're holding inventory. You're holding inventory yeah. of raw ingredients. You're holding inventory of finished product. And that is money. That's money mm-hmm. on the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so as you're getting bigger, you need more money to uh, be able to support that. And and so we knew that uh, our angel investor, who is just an amazing person, uh, got us so far and far beyond what we initially discussed. And and we got to the point uh, just after a year, um, about a year and a few months, and, and he said, Danny, um, uh, you know, I, I'm here for you, but we need to find somebody else that's going to help, uh, you know, support the company as the company continues to grow. If we're going to be able to really grow and expand, we, we're going to need some more money. So uh, I went out and we, we started looking for uh, VC funds and, mm-hmm. and and everybody, I was talking to everybody and anybody about mm-hmm. it and, and everybody was interested, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for various different reasons on various different levels. And, and you, you know how the money's been spinning in this industry in a big, big way, uh, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars into the billions of dollars now, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we thought to ourselves, well, um, it shouldn't be too hard to do this. Well, nothing's ever that easy. <laughs> Nothing is ever that easy. Um, I had really one unique, really unique advantage going out there. And um <clears throat> And I think it, it it had a lot to do with my drive and personal passion. And, uh, you know, fortunately, where we are today is built a lot on that. And even with the investors that we have today that ended up acquiring the majority share of our company and, and uh, our angel investor sold the majority share of what he owned in the company to them uh, and what I had rolled over. Um, so no, I, I, am not wealthy from it. Not, not yet. That hasn't happened for me, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, when I first sat down, uh, with, with, uh, the investors that we have today and they're based out of San Diego, two brothers that have just an amazing job with their own personal companies, um, which are based on real estate and, and, uh, construction and owning property and also food, mm-hmm. uh, and manufacturing, um, 
we, we sat down and had a conversation, uh, and they were already our co-packer for our patties. So mm-hmm. we had already started with them about six months er- earlier, and they were our co-packer. And I had sat down with the CEO of, of uh, Jensen Meat Company, who is our sister company, uh, and they own Jensen Meat Company as well. And I, we were having a conversation about growth and, and how we were going to grow and projections and all that kind of stuff. And, and I said to him, I said, look, um, we're looking for money. Uh, because we want to grow and, um, I'm just giving you a heads up. This is what we're doing. We're going and talking to VC funds and banks and so on and so forth and seeing how we're going to be able to get the money we need to grow. And he looked at me and he said, Danny, um, we're interested. <laughs> and I said, okay. And he said, uh, let's talk. Uh, he says, uh, I'll get you in front of the investors. Um, and let's all sit down and talk. And so we did that and, uh, we had a great conversation. It took one meeting, by the way. That's what it took. It was really cool. And by the end of that meeting, they said, Danny, um, we love what you're doing. We, we have a vision. We see this Mm -hmm. happening. We want to be a part of it. We own a meat company that's already co-packing for you. Uh, we see the correlation and how important it is that these two, um, uh, come together as we move forward, because we're not going to feed mm-hmm. the world in 2050 that's got 9 or 10 billion people. We, we need to make uh, make this happen, and we want to be part of that evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he's, and they said, but what we're really buying into is your passion and your drive and what you want mm-hmm. and, and what you're going to do. And, um, and because of that, we, you know, it's really important that you continue to be the face of the company. Um, because we, we, we think we see what's happening too. what's going to happen is all the big boys are going to come in. There's no face yep. to, you know, Kellogg's or, or Nestle or mm-hmm. Tyson. Uh, they're just coming in there. And a lot of times they're, they're jumping on the shelves because they're, they're so established yep. and, or they're paying for a shelf space or whatever they're doing. Uh, but, um, uh, it, it's really important, I think for the consumer, uh, because that's reality. They can touch it. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm you. Right, mm-hmm. uh, the consumer is me, yeah, uh, and I'm 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 that person. I am. I, I look, uh, you know, a few short years ago, I was working for corporate America, mm-hmm. and I'm not anymore. I, I made a choice uh, to go forward and do something that was important to me, and I thought it would be important to other people too. Uh, mm-hmm. And I and I and it is. I, I believe it is. And so it, as I move forward and everything we do, uh, it, I have, we have so many incredible people uh, around this company. But I, I will, as, as long as I'm alive, I hope, remain the, the face of the company mm-hmm. and make myself reachable and touchable. Uh, because I think even for me, and I, you know, I think we all do this when we, we reflect and go back. We all think about... Um, what's real to us Mm. and what's real to us is somebody that we see that reminds us of a piece of us. And that's me. Anybody that's interested in these type of products, uh, I I think I can relate to them in some way because I've evolved too. I mean, I haven't been a vegan or plant-based all my life. I, 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 that that's four years ago. I made that transition over time. Uh, and I don't have expectations that everybody that tries our products becomes mm-hmm. vegan or plant-based, but uh, they're making an educated choice to try these products, right? Yeah. And because we believe these products are so great, uh, they're going to try it and then they're going to buy it again uh, because it's the right thing to do uh, for our planet. Um, and it's the right thing to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly it's the right thing to do for the animals as well. Yeah. And I think I, I can see you know, why your brand hits on all those factors that are so crucial in helping consumers make the decision around a product, right? So we classically know taste, price, and convenience are the top three driving factors. You meet all those requirements. Check, Mm. check, check. Now, the newer ones that are starting to emerge in the last few years is nutrition. Of course, consumers, yeah, once you get past the taste, price, convenience, they put on other filters to the, their decision or their purchasing decisions. Nutrition is one amongst them. They want to make sure the product is going to be healthy for them because if they're going to re- if they're going to skip meat, uh, which m- m- a lot of Americans are starting to do, I think one third mm-hmm. of the population, if they're going to skip meat once a couple of times a week or maybe on the weekends, they want to make sure that what they're replacing it with is not worse for them mm-hmm. than the meat. So nutrition then becomes a factor. And especially with the 
diversity and the range of products and brands now available in the marketplace, that is increasingly going to become one of those factors that people pay attention to when they're making their buying choices, mm-hmm. assuming the others, all, you know, taste price can, taste and price are where they want it to be. And then you have, well, you can say sustainability is a factor, but by virtue of being plant-based, you're generally more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some competitive advantage depending on the type of ingredients you, you use. But then there's the last one, which you were sort of just talking about, which is transparency and authenticity. Mm-hmm. I kind of lumped them. I guess transparency could be a separate thing. But for me, uh, there's a whole new generation of consumers, um, call them millennials, Gen Z. They're going to make up about half of the population soon. Yeah. Uh, they, they they make all they, they, all those factors are important to them, but they have this other thing. They want to make sure they get who's behind this brand, mm-hmm. right? They don't Because they don't get their... They don't discover brands on TV anymore. They're not watching TV ads. They're not reading magazines and and being and buying things that are just sold to them. They make informed decisions, and mm-hmm. informed decisions come from a place of: Do I relate to who this person is behind this company? Do I believe that they have my best interests in mind? Do they share the same values as I do? This is a great segue into what I was going to ask you next about: What do you think about this the space at the moment and all the fact that Cargill and Nestle and Tyson, obviously, and Purdue and others are all now launching products. Plus, of course, on top of that, you layer uh, the retailers launching their own private label mm-hmm. products. I talked about Ralph's in the beginning. Yeah. Kroger has their own brand. Others are going to do the same very soon. What happens in this new world where you know you have a you know twenty project products to choose from? Mm-hmm. They all are plant based. They all seem to taste sort of the same. Some differences in ingredients. How do you stand out? Well, um, I know that was a long question. Yeah, but, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's it's all good. We'll get we'll get to it all. Um, look, from the very very beginning, when when we saw what Tyson did with with Beyond Meat and buying in, uh, that was a true buy in. Uh, that was uh, a revelation, really, where, where they were saying, "Hey, look, uh, we see what's happening here, and we want to be a part of it." And and that has continued to evolve. Uh, it's evolved very quickly if you compare it to almost anything else that's ever happened in the food industry. Um, and now we have all the major manufacturers, international, multi-billion-dollar companies jumping into the game and saying, "Hey, we're going to make something uh, just like what everybody else is making out there." And so. Um, Look, it's not a bad thing because mm-hmm. uh, what it's going to do is continue to open up the category, and I and I you know I refer back to Kroger and and Albertsons, and and we can look at Walmart and Target and and all the major retailers, and and, and I'm not being exclusive mm-hmm. uh, of the natural uh, retailers out there as well because they're doing the same things, but maybe they were a little bit ahead of the game. Uh, they're opening up space, uh, and they're opening up space. Um, not on their normal cycles. They're, they're literally opening up space in the middle of their cycles. Normally, they would say, hey, look, we're six months out before we decide what's going on the shelf. And I noticed right away that, I, you know, I had retailers waiting for us. We, we had some delays getting our retail product out because we got hit so hard on the food service side that I wanted to make sure we could scale up and fill those orders before we went into retail and got crushed again. And so the retailers were waiting for us and said, when, when you're ready, Danny, we have space. We are going to open up space on our shelf, which mm-hmm. is just, you know, they look at their set and that set is is uh, is there uh, usually six months ahead of time and saying, hey, that right now it's, uh, what, February, March. Uh, and now we're looking at what's going to go on the shelf in uh, September or October, right? Uh, and we were at the point where they were saying, hey, um, we've got a space or we don't have a space, but we're going to make space for you. Mm -hmm. So when you go into a Kroger store today, whether it be Ralph's or any other Kroger location or even Albertsons, it's not just one or two little things on the shelf. They've literally opened up a three or four foot space and that's not going to get any smaller. Mm -hmm. That's going to get bigger. The variety is, is continuing to grow. Actually, what's interesting is other than what we've done, there isn't a lot of variety. It's the same. It's the burger, burger, burger. So the when we talk about what's happening going forward in 2020, 2020 is going to be, mark my word, I think everybody sees it, the saturation of the plant-based burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everybody and maybe their mother, I'm not sure, 
is either making one, planning to make one, or, or has one coming out on the market. So, it, you know, the plant-based burgers all over the place. That's why we came out with a variety right yeah. away. And we said, hey, look, we've got to separate ourselves. We're going to make some things that nobody else is making. And we're ready to do it again, by the way. And I'll talk talk to you a little bit about what our next launch is going to be in retail. but uh, And there will be variety with that, too. The important thing of what's happening now is um, there's a buy-in. And, and every time somebody like Nestle uh, or, or uh, you know, Kellogg's or Tyson or any one of these big players come in, uh, they just opened up the door a little bit wider, mm-hmm. right? So uh, Impossible and Beyond did a good job of, of breaking that glass ceiling and saying, hey, not only are we going to hit the market, but we're going to hit the market. We're going in the meat department. We're not going in the in the vegan or vegetarian area or the frozen area. This is where it's going to be. And Beyond fought very hard to do that. And, and that's why uh, you know I was proud to work there. And, and I'm so proud to talk about that company too um, and, and what we're doing uh, beyond what Beyond does, quote unquote. Uh, so when we move forward with all these other big companies jumping on, the education part that I talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh, has—I don't want to say it's dissipated because we—that it, it, evolves too. We, we need to talk about how we're going to make our products uh, cleaner and and healthier, uh, but um, the education portion has almost disappeared. I mean, people now they get it. All they want to do is try it, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really cool. And social media has a lot to do with that. And certainly the internet and the access to information has a lot to do with that. And as we move forward, we're going to see, um, I think, a little bit of a plateau where, uh, you know, there's more of a balance, kind of like we saw with gluten-free uh, years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we're going to see a little bit of a breakdown, meaning that some of these brands are going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it, there's only so much room, at, 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 you know, so fast, uh, and there has to be some kind of a balance. And, and the, the, the public has a tremendous desire for these products today, mm-hmm. which is really cool. But at the same time, you know, you can be overwhelmed by everything that's coming at you. Yeah. And, and I think that's happening with retail today is the retailers are like, wait, you know, it's everybody's got something. What? How do I choose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you've positioned yourself uh, to be not only nimble enough to, uh, I wouldn't say pivot because you've, uh, you've, you don't need to necessarily do that, but to uh, double down on certain types of products that you already have right um, and and get better at it because you spot an opportunity yeah. so I mean that's why your approach is very unique because you've gone with everything right in the beginning and you continue of course last year you you launched the new uncut brand as well uh, in the short term given that this sort of consolidation plateauing that we're going to experience very soon in the plant-based meat space specifically not plant-based overall because mm-hmm. there are still some non-dairy categories that are yet to be explored and, and I think there's a lot of growth potential there but when you talk about plant-based meats um, what is your focus for 2020 you know how, how do you look at food service versus retail mm-hmm. uh, both from a distribution or channel standpoint but also from uh, products, which where are you going to put most of your, where are you putting your money? So um, we're getting ready to, to launch our, our next round of retail products, uh, which is um, products that are tried and true for us already in food service. And it's going to be our bulk grounds. So we, we will have our, our uncut ground, uh, which will be comparable to a, a ground beef. But we also have our uncut uh, Italian uh, a sausage, and we have our uncut um, uh, breakfast sausage, and then our uncut taco ground. So again, mm-hmm. we're going to go out with uh, four uh, different flavors, and this is another example of listening to the retailers. The, the retailers have told me over and over again, Danny. Uh, you know, look, we're, we're all into the burgers right now. We get it. Uh, we understand why that's where everybody went. But if you if we correlate this to animal based proteins, burger patties don't sell anywhere near our bulk ground. And mm. somebody goes in and, and they say, hey, look, I'm going to make burgers. Do you go buy a patty that's already made or do you go buy ground beef yeah. and make it yourself? Mm-hmm. And it, it outsells, you know, 10 to 1. And, and they said that that's what we want to see you do. So what are we going to do? 
That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And we're going to offer a variety again that nobody else has. So there, mm-hmm. there's a couple out there. You know, obviously Beyond is making it. Uh, Light Life is making it. Uh, Emerge has got there. Everybody's doing the ground that correlates with the burger, right? Yep. But that's it. Yeah. Right? So we're we're going to hit the market and and we're ready to do so um, very soon and and we're gonna we're gonna hit pretty hard with our with our bulk where our bricks is what we call it, yeah. and uh, and we're really excited about that. that so is, we we, that we just uh, we just released our taco uh, ground or crumble in, into food service, uh, which is an amazing product. I mean, it's really great. So uh, our mo basically is hey, if we can test it in food service and get feedback from the consumer on a lowdown more or less because there's not as much awareness obviously mm-hmm. uh, in food service as there is in retail when it comes to products um, then we'll do that and, and then we'll roll it into retail as as soon as we think is feasible and we get uh, feedback from the retailers that this is something that they want exactly and so from a consumer standpoint your products are they most mostly not pre-flavored or do you have products that are uh, you know because I'm seeing a lot of that as being the second wave of plant-based companies now where it's um, they go with a specific angle. So it is it is ground beef, but it is pre-flavored to, to taste like, you know, something you could just put on a taco and eat right away without yeah. you having to do much work. Where right. do you fall on those? Well, I, I think I think it's been kind of clear what we do. We 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 do get we do bring out like our uncut uh, burger and our uncut mm-hmm. uh, ground are, are what we call neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the ones that you could go and flavor up any way you want. But then we have very clear flavor profiles. So our our turkey like and our chicken like and our breakfast sausage like have very distinct flavor profiles. And we will do the same thing when we go uh, and release our ground. So we have mm-hmm. the Italian ground, amazing product. Our taco ground. I, I mean convenience uh, is really important to the con- yep. consumer nowadays. If they don't have to flavor something and it, it, it hits all the markers they're looking for, they're going to grab that and go. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, we're having tacos tonight, honey. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're not having an animal-based product. What, what are we going to have? We're going to go grab uncut taco ground because we don't have to do anything. We're going to throw that in a taco or a burrito and we're ready to go and we put a, whatever other condiments we want on there and rock and roll. It's easy, right? That's awesome. No, so where, where do you, I know you're, Three years into this now, and you've already had uh, <laughs> you've had a, quite a fascinating journey so far. What's what is your sort of vision for the company uh, in the years ahead? Where do you want to see it go? Well, we're we're talking about some partnerships and, and working with other companies to help us scale up in in ways that would be challenging for us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, meeting uh, you know on the retail end, uh, having uh, other companies produce products with our products in them, uh, and they could be. Um, Meals, uh, frozen meals that would go into a retail environment or uh, anything on what I call the industrial or ingredient-based space. Um, and so we're working on some partnerships there that would also co-brand us. We have one already, which is really cool. So we're working with a company called Blount Foods, mm-hmm. uh, fairly well-known for their soups and sauces based on the East Coast. Uh, they've made a chili with our ground. And it is incredible. It's it's in food service today. Uh, by fall, it'll be in retail, and you will see it on the retail shelves. It'll be Blount Foods uh, Chili, uh, and our, our logo will be on there as well. So it'll be made with uncut uh, plant-based protein. So those are the kind of things I'm looking to help spread our wings uh, because it, it, it will help us grow uh, in, in such a way that would be challenging for us without the multiple millions of dollars investment that we would need to have to make it happen, in, in addition to going out and uh, finding co-packers and trying to support all that uh, on many different levels. So we're excited about that opportunity as we move forward. And then taking some more of what we've done and just uh, uh, you know bringing that into the retail environment, what we have in food service today. We have some really cool things coming. That's exciting. Well, um, one more question before I get to my last one. Um, I should have asked this in the beginning, but what's what what is the meaning of beyond, before the butcher? Why did you think <laughs> of that name? Well, um, look, it, that did come from me. We we had a lot of names that we were floating, and mm-hmm. it, again, we we've got a team here, so I, I I feel fortunate that I actually came up with the name. But um, my thought process was. Um, when you go into the meat department, since we're going to be making or making products that were reflective of animal-based proteins, and you go up to the butcher, 
and you ask the butcher to make something for you or, or cut something for you, uh, we want it to people to think about our products before they went to the butcher, right? So before you go to the butcher, think about plant-based proteins. You think about our company and the evolution to uh, the brand name, which is Uncut, uh, was just an extension of that, really. So we went from before the butcher as the company to saying, look, if you're going into the butcher, you decide not to have uh, the butcher cut something, well, our product would be uncut, mm-hmm. right? And, so, and, and, and simplicity, you, you know, really uncut came from the idea that we needed to have a name that's quick, simple, relatable, something that you're going to remember for whatever reason you remember it. And people remember it for different reasons. There's always a little smirk or smile on people's face when the uncut comes up. And uh, I like that, right? It's all good because what it does is it stirs conversation. So before the butcher was about stirring a conversation, before before the butcher, so when it, we, I first started going out and selling and people would say, oh, you're, are you, you're meat? <laughs> and Beyond Meat was the same way. Mm-hmm. Your meat company or what? That is the best that is the best because then that starts the conversation. Uncuts the same way. It starts a conversation. People want to talk about it. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, I started off this conversation. We were, and you mentioned it too, is that one of the reasons you have all these big food companies, these big meat companies, plus, uh, you know, 50 startups trying to yeah. jump onto the plant based meat bandwagon and launch new products is because we desperately need to. And now yeah. it so happens we have a consumer demand for it and that industry is growing. Uh, and uh, the reason we need to is is because we are 7.5 billion people on the planet. We're going to be nearly 10 billion by the year 2050. If we're going to continue eating meat at the rate that we do today, we're going to have to produce more food in the next 40 years and the next uh, previous 10,000 years combined. Yeah. We're going to need 50% more land. There's no way we can do that. So right. we need another solution. Plant-based is, of course, one easy way to feed the world in a sustainable way. So the question really is, when you're successful at achieving that vision that you have, when others in this food space, because again, even as you said earlier, Beyond Meat can't do it alone. There's there's enough room for plenty of companies to succeed here. So when Uncut succeeds, when Before the Butcher is that one of those big brands in this space, when we have transitioned a majority of our food system away from animal-based foods to plant-based, what is your vision for the food system in the year 2050? Wow. Um, you, you know, that's, um, th- th- there's a, there's a vision, there's a hope, there's a prayer, uh, that, that we've made transitions in such a way that, um, we've stabilized our food system, which is broken by the way today. And we found a way to balance what we're doing in life as a whole. And as we move forward, uh, you know, 30 years from now, uh, we're going to look at a completely different world when it comes to food and food production and what we do and how we do it. Uh, do I anticipate that in 30 years, people aren't going to be eating meat at all, animal-based proteins at all? No, I, I, I think I'm going to be realistic enough to know that that's probably not going to happen in that short period of time. I'm not sure it's going to happen in my lifetime. But there will be a much better balance. And we will see that plant-based proteins and maybe cellular-based proteins as well uh, have rooted themselves in such a way that there's no longer that question about what you're eating per se. It's more about, you know, how good that product is and and it's something that we eat. I I think the whole idea that this is a plant-based meat uh, will dissipate by then. It's just a meat product, right? Mm-hmm. It happens to be made out of plants. I, I talked about that at the very beginning. It's like, yes, we have our vegan and vegetarian. We got our veggie burgers, okay? But this is a plant-based burger. It is a, it is a burger, mm-hmm. right? It's meat, but it's made out of plants. It, and, and that's the difference. You can have a, a, a turkey burger or a chicken burger, a bison burger. You know, they're made out of different proteins. This is a different protein. And when we all come together and say, hey, look, this is just another protein, it's a source. We need another source. There's no question we have to have another source of protein. We're cutting out the middleman, right? Yep. We're cutting out the animal, and we're going straight uh, from the source, straight from the plant to the plate is yes. what I like to call it. And because we're able to do that, we're bypassing everything in between, which is draining our resources and hurting our planet. When we figure that out, we're going to be a much better world for it, and I think we're getting there. 
Thank you, Danny. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and learning all about Before the Butcher. Uh, please come back anytime. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. Thanks. Now. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.